We were meeting at 12 and you said, I came at 10 and I wanted to have my breakfast. Decompress. I immediately, in my mind, I was like, which is exactly opposite of me. I'm you know, He wants to sit and enjoy it. And I hustle and I'm, I, run, I run around. Akid, and I'm always, but when it comes to me expressing and talking like yeah. this, right now, like, mazag, yeah. and I love doing this with my clients in the first meeting, the first briefing, we sit down and I dig deep into like, where do you travel? Where do you like to go? What kind of music? I like to know them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it feeds into my creative process. Welcome to The Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the world of arts, culture, tech, and food. I'm your host, Hesha Montasir. And on the show today, I'm joined by Kuwaiti designer, Mishari Nassar. Mishari started his design studio in Kuwait in 2018 while waiting to start his master's and hasn't looked back since. I'm almost intrigued when I learn about new designers and I try to get a sense of their setting. I have to say, um, I only heard about Mishari quite recently. I went to Instagram, of course, to do some research and everywhere else. And I found this aesthetic intriguing. It was um, somewhat minimalist, but has also sort of some maximalist pieces interspersed. We talk about how he continues to develop and challenge his own style, why he made the decision to settle in Dubai, and of course, all things Kuwait. Mishari, welcome. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here. You have such an interesting story. Let's start just first with what you do and who you are. You've been in Dubai and the UAE now for the last seven years. Is that right? A total of seven, seven eight years. years now. So you came here to study? I came here to study in 2011. Okay. And what, you're Kuwaiti, obviously, you grew up in Kuwait. What prompted a move to study here? Because at the time, more common that you'd go to the States, you'd go to the UK. Some did. Farah studied in Sharjah. Yeah. Right, so so it does exist. It's not that it doesn't, but yeah. it wasn't very common. Walk us through the rationale here. The story was quite interesting. I was actually studying at the American University in Kuwait. I was doing ah, finance, okay. and I did like a year and a half to two years. I just didn't didn't feel like I wanted to be there. I wanted to be abroad. I wanted to see more. So what I did was basically I uh, spoke to my parents about moving to the states, and they approved. And I started applying and doing all that stuff and the entire process. But they said I had to start over. You can't just transfer your credits. And I didn't want to waste my time. So, and then the more the discussion opened up, my parents were like, why go so far away? Stay within the region. So I'm like, fine, AUB. AUB is fantastic. That period of time, something happened politically in Beirut that my parents said, okay. Not just that period of time. I'm pretty much throughout, throughout unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. But it was my dream. And it's still, it's like AUB is still um, a university that I respect. So I ended up... Uh, researching and I found AUS in Sharjah and I flew out to apply to Sharjah and uh, they rejected me on the spot. Wow. They were like, we don't take a UK students. We, we don't take you guys. So on the way back, I saw AUD and I was like, why not go apply? I applied and I got accepted on the spot and I called my dad. He's like, you're not going to Dubai. It's like the Vegas of the GCC. You're not going to go live there. But then, did you have any connection to Dubai at the time? Nothing. We nothing. just came you as tourists. Live here or spend any time here? Never. You came to visit with your family. It was just it. tourism every now and okay. then. And I loved the campus. I loved everything. And I started and I did finance because my parents did not approve of me doing interior design. Mm. So I did finance, and then I switched to interior design without letting them know. Oh, bravo! And I spent a total of. If my son five does years. this, I'll kill him. I'm just kidding. Oh, trust me, my <laughs> my dad has his opinions about it. But now he's the proudest. Now yeah. he's the proudest. No, no, I keep mission. It's all the interior design. It's like whatever he does without letting me know. Tell me, but, yeah, but yeah. Bravo, it was my biggest uh, secret. That's ballsy. 
because I loved interior design. Yeah. I, I I grew up just loving everything design, everything that has to do with impacting the day-to-day -day life. Was it prevalent in your life? Did your parents have an interest in design or did you hang, I mean, what brought that love? I mentioned this a few times and I mentioned it briefly again. I, I grew up watching a lot of TV and that's where I learned like most of like pop culture, American accent, everything. And I was a huge but fan But Dallas of... didn't have particularly good design. I mean, what did you grow up watching? I grew up watching uh, Oprah Winfrey show, which had okay. this guy named Nate Berkus and he did makeovers. Oh, that's so And it was like very kind of <laughs> subtle makeovers for your like laundry room or your bathroom. But I just saw the impact that had on these people in their homes. And then I discovered a show called um, Makeover, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Yes. There was a guy named it. Ty Pennington. You know, the move that bus. I loved that I don't show know that, so much. There's I, a bus I do that the show. the house and then they move the bus and you see the transformation. Uh, I loved that contrast of before and after. Okay. And I never knew what interior designer meant until they put the title of Ty Pennington interior designer. And I was like, okay, that's I, I want to be that. Yeah. But everyone said, that's not a, that's not a man's job. It's not job. practical. It's not a man's job. Oh, it's every, not a man's job. Every person within my culture and my circle said, that's not a man's job. Mm. Men don't want to be designers. Are you, like, are you going to fluff pillows for a living? Mm. Why would you do design? Mm. Does it make sense? Do something that brings in the money and you can support yourself and, 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 and. Finance, banking, architecture, anything but not design. And how many were you studying interior design? It must be a small number. A small number. Yeah. I, was, I was the only guy. Only guy. I was the only guy. Wow. So imagine a Khaliji Arab man. Yeah. Among totally I'm picturing it as I, we speak. It, it was, it was, I felt very And all these women judging or they, not judging. They Maybe were, they just liked that they had a man actually in the room. Um, see, <laughs> questionable. Yeah. Let's think, get into that. I think it was more of like, you're so lazy. You don't want to go do the hard stuff. So you, you, you pick oh. design because it's easy for you to graduate and get a degree. But they're in it. What makes them think it's easy? Because they're like to them, interior design is under the umbrella of design. So they can branch out to fashion and then, okay. and, and so on. For me, I was always judged as like, you're a guy and you chose interior design because you don't want to do the hard stuff. You just want an easy degree. So I had to prove myself every semester over and over and over to my professors, to the faculty, to the students. But honestly, it was the best experience ever. So do you think, I'm jumping here a bit, but do you think that explains why we have so few Arab designers of any sorts, uh, especially male designers? I mean, we have many architects, True. but you don't see many Arab men in product design, interior design, graphic design. Honestly, maybe Lebanese a little bit because yeah. they have a very strong school in AOB, 100%. but not outside. Do you think it has to do with this concept that it's not manly enough? It's not for men, 100%. you know, it does. There's a lot of male designers in the region, specifically Lebanon and, and Egypt. Fashion designers. Fashion, interior architecture, all of, all yeah. of the, under the umbrella of design, yeah. but they never started off studying it. Everyone so, started off after as an architect and he does interior design. Yeah, that I'm familiar with. That's that's very familiar. However, all of the current designers did not actually choose with the support of their families to seek a degree in design. Because so, at that age, your family wants to be a part of your decision making process. They don't want you to be a designer. So after you're done with all of your family's pressures, and then you start becoming a designer, that's what everyone is doing. There's also probably something else, right? Um, a lot of people, it is, it's a bit like food. People have very strong views when it comes to interior design. Yeah. In my view, is no question there's right or wrong. Bamana and no, yes, of course, is there some subjectivity, but there's good design and <laughs> bad design. True. Yet what you see all the time is people are like, no, I like it that way. It's great. No, it's not. It's really not great at all. But I want to understand from you, 
because you're coming up against people that may have a good eye, True. but certainly haven't studied this. True. I think that's the biggest challenge because yeah. in, in, in design, there's two parts. There's the aesthetic part, and then there's the functional part. Masbut. If you understand function and measurements and construction and renovation and so on, you have that technical side of things. Sah. The aesthetic side, you're either blessed with it or you're not. And Masbut. I know a lot of students from my batch, they were blessed with technicalities, but zero taste and vice versa. So it's all about that that good balance. So when I come in with a degree and experience, and I've like I studied it for a few years, against someone who's been in the market for fifteen years, who does not have a degree but has an impeccable eye. Mm. At the beginning, it was frustrating. Now it's no longer frustrating. That's very interesting because I guess you think like, oh, well, this person hasn't really studied it, right? He doesn't yeah. really understand the science behind it. True, but it's okay. You think it's okay? I think now at this time in my career, I think it's not okay. I think it's amazing because you learn so much from them. I know a lot of designers in Kuwait and in the GCC who did not study it, and they've mm. been in the market for 10, 15, even 20 years. I learned so much from them. Mm. They have an eye and they've been through a lot. They've experienced so much in the industry. Mm. I can't just kind of dismiss their entire experience because they never studied it. Yeah. But at the same time, of course, getting a degree in education helps you. No question. Yeah. I came at it from another way. I I was what your parents wanted you to do, which I became a banker. Yeah. And then obviously in my current job, the interior design element is quite important because we open restaurants and, and lifestyle Impactful. spaces and so on. And I, I love it. I enjoy it. I would like to think that I have a decent eye of looking at things. Yeah. But I have a lot of respect when people come into it to, at me and we collaborate and they have a bit more of a, let's call it scientific underpinning because it sort of strengthens my eye, so to speak. Yeah. But ultimately, I still rely on my own kind of uh, sense of what I like and what I don't. And if you're talking with someone that studied this, I think the interplay is very healthy. I think if you're willing to kind of listen to the feedback and take it in yeah. in a grain of salt, it's such an interesting it conversation. Is. It is very enriching. Yes. Meanwhile, some people get easily offended if you give your opinion on there. Because I feel like when interior design or designing spaces in general, it's like putting a, a flower bouquet together. There's no right or wrong. You pick and choose whatever you like and what you want to see on a daily basis. And you put it together and that's individually yours. But it's also, there needs to be chemistry. And I can tell you, we've worked now with, I worked now with four or five architects slash interior designers in our various restaurants. Yeah. I know almost right away. Yeah. I mean, you know, whether this will work out or not, both on personality and on their sense of aesthetics. Yeah. And when it does work, which has been every one of them, I mean, the only reason we've moved to different ones is you want to get a fresh perspective. Yeah. It's really exhilarating. Yeah. I mean, it's really a lot of fun. It brings a lot of perspective. And all the good ones I have found are very open to a dialogue. It's not like my way or the highway. It's healthier. It's yeah. healthier for the designer and the architect not to be defensive. And it's healthier for the client to be opening up for a discussion. Yeah. I always say most of my projects are a collaboration between me and the client. Yeah. As soon as the client checks out, I stop giving you the extra mile. Ah. Because we need to work on this together. This is your home. This is your space. Once you say, okay, listen, you do whatever you want. That's when I'm no longer interested in the project. So who am I designing for? So just checking your social media accounts and so on, you have a very interesting, obviously kind of somewhat minimalist aesthetic in terms of your, your style. Uh, I would say sort of, you know, very clean. To an extent, yes. Yeah, very yeah. clean in many ways. Yeah, to an extent. It's I'm hard to get, define. My yeah, it is, it is hard to define because yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a few pieces and I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But like the bones are clean and then I think you build up from there, which I find quite interesting. True. Um, I, I have, I, I feel that's sort of my comfort zone. So yeah. I'm able to build on a, a, a clean canvas, if you will. Yeah. 
But if it's very busy, it's very hard to work from there. If somebody comes to you, and I'm, there's many, definitely in the, in the Gulf, but also elsewhere, especially in residential projects, with a very maximalist approach, what do you do? So if I'm a Ferrarelli person and I need the Mudhab and the this and yeah, the, the Versace. Yeah, yeah, Versace. I get it. I yeah, completely yeah, get Versace it. Again. If, if, I, if I'm the Versace hotel guy, what do you do? And I, I bring you and I ask you, Mishari, I need you to work on my house. It's very Versace. Of course. Can you work with this? See, you have to be- I would rather kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I used, I used to say that. I used to say, I'll never take something that's gilded, Versailles, yeah. madness, yeah. because in the GCC specifically, there's specifically a lot of it. from Kuwait, a lot of it with the wrong proportions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they want a massive staircase. That's, yeah. That, like, the Kuwaitis stuff. take it to a new level, no question about it. The Kuwaiti, yeah. like Khaliji TV yeah, yeah. shows, yeah, yeah. when you see the big cascading- How about with the hair, frankly, I have to admit, the, the biggest volumes I've ever seen are in it's Kuwait. It's insane. Yeah. Fantastic hair. Yeah, but then the staircase <laughs> that they want occupies 75% of the ground floor. So where are you furnishing? <laughs> because they want the high impact. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They like the drama, yeah. They like the drama, yeah. which I respect, but I think <sighs> things need to be done the right way or don't do it. Yeah. What I find um, a kind of challenging is uh, setting the expectations right with the clients. If the client comes to you with a very small budget and a very small plot and says, I want the Four Seasons, my job is to say, not possible. Yeah. We can do something nicer we can do like let's say the addition hotel kind of aesthetic we can approach it in a different way where it's tailored for that current circumstances but not let's copy paste so, but if someone comes to answer your question if someone comes to me with that aesthetic says would you do it at the beginning of my career i wouldn't do it mm. now i would love a good challenge that's good that's a great. good challenge because i want to learn how to mix my vision with what they want and then the outcome could be something different mm. Um, I think it's fun to experiment. I would never definitely do fully gilded with purple tassels per se, but <laughs> I think it's interesting to explore. What's the multicolored uh, Italian brand? And in Kuwait, you have a hotel. Missoni. Missoni. Missoni, yeah. yeah. When they were like, we're opening Kuwait, I'm like, it so makes sense, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Missoni and Kuwait are like a match made in heaven. Yeah, yeah. I think because Kuwait is a mix of different aesthetics. Like I have clients in Kuwait who have some of the most outstanding homes I've ever seen in my life. Anamak. Like some crazy. some impeccable taste, and then some, and that, some very loud taste. Not just loud. There are things that I want to create a show around. It's it, people need to see it. Yeah, yeah. Sakalem. I've seen things. I've seen spaces that I'm like, how did you? Where you almost this? celebrate the ridiculous, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. So it's so ridiculous that yeah. I'm like, how, who made this for you? Because in my mind, it's not the outcome. It's the process. Which carpenter came and agreed to say yes? I want to do yeah. this for you. But you know that's such an interesting uh, thing. When I uh, when we first bought our house here in Dubai, yeah, we bought a house that was already finished, and then we completely got it in and restarted. Yeah, but there were a couple of things. So we had this massive, like chandelier, okay. crystal chandelier, like dangling from the ceiling, and we're like, oh my god, what are we gonna do with this? And obviously, the first attempt was like everything else just to remove. And then actually, the interior designer we worked with, and who also designed the first lighthouse, God bless her. She had this idea. She was like, look, let's just celebrate it. Sometimes when something is so ridiculous, take it and double down. So we wrapped it and celebrated it. And now it actually looks great. Statement, yeah. But it was not together. It became a statement piece, but yeah. we kind of appropriated it in some yeah. ways. I think you have to respect the personality of the architecture or the interior design that's already existing. Yeah. A lot of my projects, there's key elements that the client hates the most. I want to keep and I want to show them that element in a different setting. Let me show you this how this ugly staircase can work with my vision. Mm. Let me convince you to fall in love with it again. I think that's the challenge that I enjoy, is to change your mind that this thing that you keep seeing that's ugly and it pisses you off, this is the thing that you'll fall in love with once I'm done. 
And are your most favorite projects residential? So I know you've done some commercial projects as well. I saw on online. Yeah. So I was known for residential. Okay. It's not my favorite thing Interesting. to do. Interesting. But Why? I, I think residential is Too very, personal? I love the two personal aspect. Okay. I love bonding with my clients. I okay. love kind of creating this relationship with them, this friendship that we we become a family throughout the process. Okay. Um, but I think it just, it takes a long time. Mm. Clients who come to you for residential, they have the luxury of time and they're willing to stick around for two years. Mm. As a business, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't stay with you more than three months, six months maximum. Yeah. Some clients, they want to keep me for a year, yeah. but they only pay for those three months. So business-wise, it's not working out. Yeah. I'd love to hang around. I'd love to do everything for you, but it doesn't work. However, what I enjoy and is- And how do you operate? You come in with a full team. Do you uh, collaborate with architect? I mean, if I come to you kind of with like a white canvas and like take on the project, yeah. how do you operate? Uh, first of all, we have to assess the, the situation of budget and time frame okay. to understand what they want. Uh, recently, a lot of our residential projects are through architects. Okay. So the clients- They uh, refer you. The architects will be like, I work with Mishari, bring him on board. Not that. It's more of the client saying, we like Mishari's work. We're going to take the plans and go to him because he's the architect. They, they tell their architect that. I see. They bring their And the architect says, no, don't go to him. I'll bring him to you. I see. And therefore, I sign with the architect as a subcontractor. Makes sense. It's easier because then me and the and the architect work hand in hand as a yeah. team. And you and you develop a full vision and, and give it to the client. Yeah. Yes. In, in in other scenarios, the the client is done with the architect. He grabs the drawings, comes to me, and I start correcting, and then goes back to the architect. The client gets frustrated yeah, because he's yeah. in between those two studios. Yeah. Which is not the scenario. Yeah. But also the common knowledge in the region is that. Um, the enemy of the designer and the architect is the contractor. Mm. I made a mission to show my client that the contractor is my best friend. Mm. He has to be on my good side. That's a big mission. It's a big mission. I've never seen a contractor that it's is anyone's biggest best friend. Mission. Be because so hard. We have to. Because he's the person that's executing my vision. If he hates me or if he wants to overstep his boundary, I'm the one that's going to photograph that project with all these flaws and promote it. And has this worked in reality? I've had all the scenarios in reality. Okay. I've had the scenarios of the contractor <laughs> being like, it's my show yeah. and none of you are involved. Yeah. And I've had contractors who have said, I'm going to protect you, I'm with you, let's work together. When we come back, we'll talk about Mishari's decision to live in Dubai instead of his studio's headquarters in Kuwait. And how Kim Kardashian, apparently everyone calls her Kim K. I didn't know that, by the way, and now I do. So thank you, Mishari how Kim K's home had an impact on global interior design trends. That's right, after the short break. Welcome back. You're listening to The Lighthouse Conversations with my guest, Michelle Nassar. Michelle's studio has been gradually expanding its scope across the GCC, now in Qatar, in Saudi, and more to come. He's also opening a studio here in Dubai very soon at a location he was very reluctant to disclose. I don't want to, sorry about that. By the end of the day, Farah will know exactly with the geolocation. Yeah. She's oh, a spy. Yeah. She has CIA tendencies. If we put her on the project, end of day, she will have a pin for you. She'll be like, he's staying there. Challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a again. challenge. I mean, I, I'm sure you know at this point because I posted about it. No, you know? Oh, see, she that, now that you've told her she's posted <laughs> no, about no, it, no. you scrap all the... All the material and she I posted that. the hoarding and then the flooring and the lamp shows and someone said, is this in this place? Did anyone guess right? So one person guessed and I deleted the comment. 
I, d- I don't want anyone to know. Cheeky. You know why? On you it. know why? It's not because I like to keep a secret. Mm. I really struggled finding a location in Dubai where it's like a European style studio. It's a studio space, very small, on the ground floor where I can open up the doors. So it struck me, you're working in Kuwait, you're working a bit here. Farah found out already. No, Shari, it took her like three and a half minutes. I dare you. How's Farah? You might as well say it. We'll put it on the Wait, show. Wait, do you live in the area? I am telling you, she finds out everything. So you might as well reveal. Khalas, it's over now. Did I whisper? Reveal, reveal, reveal. La- oh, oh, it's ridiculous. No, it's not. <gasps> no, it's not. I you won't tell anyone you that your superpower has been diminished. She won't sleep tonight. It's close, though. Uh-huh. I can say that. It's close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. No, but honestly, I have, to, I have to emphasize on this point is that when I wanted to open a studio in, 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 in Dubai, it had to compete with my Kuwait location. My Kuwait location, it's a plant nursery that's abandoned that I transformed into my studio. So it's a it's a glass house. Is that the place that was published in one of the magazines? I saw the something online. Space. Yes, that's, it's that's beautiful. It. Thank you. So it's a plant nursery. Oh, I saw it. It's gorgeous. So I can't come to Dubai and open a corporate office on like some Sah. sort of floor. Sah. There needs to be an, 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 an interaction with nature and the outdoor space. I also have a dog that I want him to come with me to work. And yeah, I, I know some places that. don't allow dogs. Dog dad, you called yourself. A dog dad. That's yeah. what it is, because it's a lot It's a lot to do. Yeah. Way, it's a huge responsibility. But um, we found this, it's a, we found this place that basically I'm allowed to open up the entire front facade and have indoor-outdoor, and people can pass by, and we can just interact with our surrounding it's businesses. It's it's a it's a very unique space. And I'm Can't really wait excited. to see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... Something struck me though. You said I'm doing projects here in Qatar, etc. What about Kuwait? In Kuwait, we're always fully booked. Kuwait okay. is always happening for me. And you have a team there on the ground. I have a team there, and most of my connections and my team and and everyone I know in terms of construction is there. Mm. So Kuwait is stable, and I fly out every now and then. So why did you leave then? Yeah, and if, I left if, not for work. I left for lifestyle. I left for my own. So you graduated growth. out of out of university. You finished AOD. True. Uh, was there a discussion of Arga Kuwait or Margash Kuwait, or was it like, no, I am staying here. I love Dubai. Khalas, that's my home. So I graduated in May and I had the summer, and then I'm moving to Barcelona for a master's degree, which I got accepted in. Okay. So I had that three months gap. Okay. During those three months, I said, let me go to Kuwait and see what the market is all about before I leave to Barcelona. Fair. I went and my own dentist offered me this project that is just like an opportunity that I could not decline. Mm. It's something huge because mm. he believed in me. He's been seeing me for 10 years. He knows my growth. He knows what I've been through with my like degree. How, how are the teeth? My teeth? Mm. They're okay. They're okay. Just they're, they're, you're they're you're a dentist. You know, obviously you have a... <laughs> no, he's like, he's like a design lover. He okay. always asks about what I'm learning in university. Okay. So uh, he gave me the opportunity in May. Through that summer, I was working on that project. Okay. By September, I was supposed to go to Barcelona. I couldn't. Canceled that. I stuck around. He gave me more work. And then by October, I opened up my studio. So it was all by coincidence. Okay. And then four years passed in Kuwait, and we built the studio that is kind of doing well and can't complain. And then you came back here. I moved back to Dubai a year and a half ago. Why? It's um, different aspects. Okay. Let's I think one aspect is you want to grow as a young person. So. Me being a designer and a businessman is one thing. As a person, as an individual, I need to see, and my brain needs to be fed and to be challenged for me to grow. I couldn't find that challenge in Kuwait. Mm. I was not challenged enough. Kuwait is a very small country and everyone is amazingly supportive. And I love all my friends and all the architect designers there. They're amazing. 
However, I did not see what I was able to create beyond the high-end residential and mm -hmm. the few products that I've done. You felt stuck. Alas, I was stuck. I, I reached stuck. the roof and I couldn't grow more than that. So I had a decision either to leave or to become very commercial and downgrade to serve business-wise. Mm. And I chose to leave only because Dubai is home and I have a, a space to live here. And why not go back and forth? I mean, I have seen a lot of Kuwaitis that have moved to Dubai or to the so UAE yeah, over the last couple of years. So many. I want to talk a little bit about this because uh, my father moved to Kuwait for about 10 years. He was an economist professor, but then he went and worked as an advisor to the Minister of Finance, Minister of Finance at the time, right after the Gulf War. Yeah. Okay. This is when I went to college. I went to the States. He moved to, to Kuwait. My mother was kind of between Cairo and Kuwait. Mm. So I visited only post-Gulf War, first Gulf War. Yeah. And over the years, even then, Kuwait had this reputation for being so ahead in the Gulf. True. Very cosmopolitan, very sophisticated. Obviously, uh, the fact that it's also a port city, Sotogar, uh, you know, very smart in business, etc. True. And then it started stagnating, deteriorating slowly to the point where we are today, which is a very unfortunate state. And it means that brain drain has accelerated because other cities in the Gulf, especially Dubai, but also Abu Dhabi, Riyadh, and others everywhere are, are starting to flourish. How do you explain that? I mean, and I know this is a very complex question. It's not yeah. one single answer, but from, from you as a Kuwaiti, as an individual, yeah. seeing this decline uh, must be very hard. It's hard for everyone. People mm. in Kuwait talk about it all the time. We are very vocal about how we feel about what's going on there. Is it like a post-war trauma? Because it almost feels like it. Not at all. Not. I think it's a disconnect of the people from the government. The government is not understanding what the people want and vice versa. Okay. The people in Kuwait continue to thrive and grow and, and get a good education. Uh, if, if the country is not providing it, they will make it happen. Mm. If the streets are broken, the Kuwaitis will go out, buy a machine, create it. Recently, there was a big article about three Kuwaiti uh, young girls, engineers, created a machine, like a robot, that fixes all these holes in the streets because the baladiya wouldn't fix them. Mm. There's a huge kind of... Um, disconnect between again government and people so the people are continuing to grow and to do things and travel and build and construct when the government is more kind of stuck but there's a big uh, opportunity cost for kuwaitis to leave because the government pays you a lot of money to stay frankly you know they they, they subsidize almost all aspects of life and far more than any other gulf country to my knowledge maybe with the exception of qatar but qatar is, is smaller we have the most generous welfare state, essentially. 100%. The yeah. most generous kind of, um, uh, even the funds that, that we have, uh, the pension, we have the most generous everything, systems. Everything, yeah. However, I mentioned this too earlier, yes. Kuwait is addictively comfortable. Mm. You're very comfortable. Ana, as Mshari, I don't want to be very comfortable sometimes. I want to be challenged. It doesn't take you out of your comfort zone. It's it too, doesn't take you out of my yeah. comfort zone. I felt stuck. If yeah. I wanted Especially to, as a creative person. 100%. As a creative, yeah. I want to be challenged. Yeah. I want to see more things. But also, I want to link to the international market. The international market cannot enter the Kuwaiti market. It's closed off. Mm. All my supplier friends in Dubai, who are from international brands, they tell me, Mshari, how do we access the Kuwaiti mm. market? We can't get in. We're struggling. We can't get in. Who do we speak to? I'm like, honestly, just don't. Mm. It's a lot of things that I can mention, the things that I can't mention. But mm. I think it's... Sure. If you want um, to be challenged as a creative, I don't think... Kuwait right now, in the current circumstances, is the place to be. Mm. That's why I chose to live in between. Because Kuwait is my family. It's my Akeed, studio. It's Akeed. my clients. It's your identity in many ways. Yeah. But like my entire life is there. Yeah. I chose to move here 
and to kind of downsize my life for the sake of growing as a creative. Interesting. And in a year and a half now so far in Dubai again, I've seen the change. Because have, you're not as comfortable, not as doesn't give you the same privileges that you have at home. Hundred percent. Okay. And I acknowledge my privileges. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm privileged. A kid. Hundred percent. But Akeed. therefore, I have to prove myself even more to the international market, mm. to to European companies, to suppliers, because they will always look at me as you're like this young Khaliji privileged man. They so. will never look at you as like a struggling designer who's wanting to do something. So you have to prove yourself every time, every meeting with every supplier. I have to show them that I'm educated enough. I know what's going on. I understand the process. We have clients. We can make things happen. It is a struggle. And then you have another dimension. So you have spent an, on an annual basis sometime in Egypt as well. Your family goes to Egypt. We used to go to Egypt every spring. Every spring. Yeah. So you have a, a very special connection to Cairo and to Egypt in some ways. I personally, and as well as my family, we have a very, very special connection with Cairo. But I think Kuwait as a country has a very deep connection with Cairo. I mean, 100%. We're very close as people. Yeah. But for me, it's a deeper bond because I grew up listening to the Egyptian accent dialect at home and at work and my dad's work and so on. But also the Egyptian cuisine, food is part of our food. Mm. But to me, it's the music. Music, I, music is a huge part of my, my music life. or or classical. Arab music. I'm talking Um Kalthum, Faiza Ahmed, okay. uh, all the classics. Okay. I grew up from a very young age in my household. All we so heard was Tarab, mm. Egyptian Tarab. Mm. So it was a huge part of my identity. How do you feel it's it's that has played into your what you do today creatively? It's a huge part of it, mm. and I think it's very difficult to explain to non-Arab uh, people. It's when you listen to Tarab music, you mm. think of that nostalgic moment of that era, the golden era of architecture, design, the beauty, the fashion of like Egyptian architecture and 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 like Um Kalthum days. So. Those days they had this essence to it that was very sophisticated, very, very beautiful that doesn't exist anymore. However, the majority kind of reminisce about it. Yes. I derive a lot of my- With traffic and nostalgia. Exactly. Yeah. We do. As my friend said. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah, yeah. why we collect all these books about these topics so, to remind us of that era. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. This is a, this a book is hundred percent traffic and nostalgia. I exactly. Mean, yeah. Same thing applies to Beirut, to Lebanon. Mazbut kalam. We pull a lot of inspirations from Beirut and from Cairo. Yeah. And for me, a lot of my designs are all about this uh, idea of when you gather up in a space as a family or as a couple or as an individual. And you can hear the tarab and you can be seated in a nice area. And it's very sensory, what you smell, what you see, what you listen to. So a lot of my residential inspiration is about how can you function with that space? It's still feeling that same feeling. Vibrancy. Exactly. Vibrancy. Mm. You have mm. that feeling about, I want to, to feel that feeling again. I always imagined myself growing up being in like a courtyard or a garden listening to like old tarab and just <laughs> like i i love plants i love like jasmine flowers like small things that mean so much to me so i always imagine my clients i want to surround them with what they love and how i can make them feel the way i want to feel in a space what's fueled all this curiosity i mean you you strike me as a very curious person yeah you've had the privilege of traveling exposed to different cultures etc that's great but frankly many others have as well true and they are they they kind of it almost washes over them where is this it's coming sense. from see uh my grandfather and my father are huge um factors in my curiosity however when i look at my siblings we're, we're not all equally curious at the same time I think in my sorry siblings, yeah, yeah literally, yeah. love you. But um, <laughs> but I think for me, it's I always wanted to 
be understood. Mm. My biggest fear is to be misunderstood. Why? I don't know why. Do you feel understood now? Yes. Generally? Yes, but I think there's more that I want to pull out. More forms of self-expression, essentially. 100%. I think there's ideas and feelings in my mind that I can't put into words. Therefore, design is a tool for me. And how much does Mazag factor into this? Because you said something a bit earlier that I thought was very interesting. Yeah. We were meeting at 12 and you said, I came at 10, Lenny. I wanted to have my breakfast. Decompress. And, yeah. But immediately in my mind, I was like, which is exactly opposite of me. I was like, Andu Mazag, yeah. you know, he wants to sit and enjoy it. And yes, it seems 100%. to be a big factor. I, I, I admire people like that. I think I, I allow myself that on occasion. Yeah. But I have a kind of a German self-hating element. That's a different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I hustle and I'm, I, run, I run around. Akeed, and I'm always, but when it comes to me expressing and talking like yeah. this, right now, mazag, like, yeah. Lazim Akun in this, in, this, in this state of mind where I can talk to you. Okay. And I love doing this with my clients in the first meeting, the first briefing. We sit down and I dig deep into like, where do you travel? Where do you like to go? What kind of music? I like to know them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it feeds into my creative process. And you spoke earlier about food. Yeah. So food-wise, walk us a little bit through your version of Adit Mazag, Ba'akli Mazag. Food to me is a love language. Okay. It's a love language. My mom's love language is cooking for you your favorite dish. Wow. My grandma as well. Like what dishes? Give us a few kida. Wow, nuggets. everything. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> so my grandma makes msakhan. Uh, Wow. Okay. In her own Kuwaiti version. Okay. So in Kuwait, the traditional bread is Iranian bread. It's al-khubz al tanur Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's Iranian. Yeah. And she gets that, slices it in half, soaks it in olive oil, and then you get all the onions and all the nuts, and then a big chicken in the middle, rolled, foil. Tightly rolled? Tightly. Or more no, like no. loose. Tight, and then foil, and dipped in oil, and then in the oven. Yeah, lahwi. So when it comes out, you put gloves on, <laughs> and you dig deep into it. I, so like food to me is a big, big deal. Okay. I love good food, specifically flavors that are reminiscent of the area. Because mm. I think Kuwait's our cuisine is heavily in, inspired by um, Iran, by yeah, Persian yeah, food, yeah, yeah. as well as Al Matal Arabiya and India. The whole GCC. Best Bill Kuwait, the Iranian influence is very present. But you know what I enjoy? I enjoy knowing the origin of this meal, how it came from different cultures at once. Yeah. No, it's fascinating because growing up in Egypt, the influence was far more Sharkasi, Turki, a little bit Greek. Uh, so we had more of a Mediterranean orientation towards fluid influence that weren't Egyptian. When I moved to Dubai, and because of my wife was Saudi, I kind of got exposed to the you know, Iranian, uh, Indian, um, and, and it's fascinating. And then you blend the two. It's all overlaps. And you, yeah, and you get something really it's super amazing. special. I love how food is able to kind of um, educate you about cultures coming together. We really does. Politics. Yeah, yeah. We recently discovered, I was in Singapore, and we had the chef who was, we actually had on the on the podcast, called Ivan Brame, and he has, he's Brazilian, Lebanese-Brazilian. Yeah. And he told us that dumplings came from China originally, uh, and then traveled to Turkey, you know, um, makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Trade routes and yeah. Think of Wara Arab. Wara Arab, vine leaves. Yeah. I have an um, Azerbaijani friend. She's like, we make those, but with meat. Sah. Sah. I have a Kurdish friend that makes it in a different way. I'm, I'm meeting all these people, which only happens in Dubai. You meet all these nationalities. They all have the same dish, but with a different twist. It's very true. And it, I, I feel like that's worth exploring because yeah. there's a lot of storytelling happening. Ceviche, sashimi, Ceviche, I mean, true, hundred percent. Things, Yanni. It's, it's. That's why I think food for me is important. I really, really enjoy food. What inspires you? What, where do you draw inspiration currently? So, food is obviously one of them. Yeah. But when you're working on a new project and you're thinking about 
new ideas? Do you travel a lot? Do you go to social media? Is it conversations with friends? My inspiration is all about culture and history. I love history. I love reading history. I watch documentaries a lot. And in each, say, phase in my life, I'm obsessed with one specific culture. Right now, I'm just obsessed with everything Mexican. Mexican. Mexican design, Mexican architecture, Mexican product, fashion. I'm obsessed with Mexican design. I haven't wow. been yet, though. You will love it. Mexico I'm saving cities. it for that time, that period where I'm ready to soak it all in. No, no. Mexico City is a Cairo, but prettier. Yes. <laughs> Sadly, much prettier. Maybe cleaner. It's yeah. a bit more like Parisian and it's like more organized yes. than Cairo. Ornamentations. And but it still has that feeling you get in Cairo, that grit, that is really like addictive. I love that. And طبعاً, the food and the culture and the art and all this is, is thriving. What I like is this, a place that is kind of stuck in time, but the people grew and the place is still there. Let it grow. I, I love seeing that. Therefore, I think for me, my inspiration in design is one thing. What I design for my clients and my studio is something else. People come to Mshari and my studio because of our aesthetic. My personal taste is very different. Mm. And I think now slowly we, I am revealing that side of my aesthetic. And I'm not a minimalist person at all. Mm. Very eclectic. I kind of I like... Any borderline maximalist. Oh, yeah, I saw. Well, it was, as I told you, it was so interesting. I mean, yeah. whatever you had online, which is not that much in your studio, but yeah. I was looking, you have this kind of clean palette, but then on it, there's some like ornamental layering. like things. And I was like, oh, it's so interesting. He's marrying these two, which is not easy. I love it wasn't all like super, you know, clean uh, uh, Swedish, which can get a bit clinical and boring. But also, I hate trends. Like, for example, I, I we can't deny how pop culture has a huge influence on design and architecture. Yeah. Kim Kardashian's house. Yeah. Done by Axel Vervoet. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, I'm not, I don't follow. But then after that, as soon as the house was published, every client, every designer started doing that minimal beige micro cement wabi-sabi. Interesting. Every coffee shop you see right now in the region, it's all the beige, bone, That's ivory, micro cement. Does this like, inspired by Kim Kardashian? Inspired. It's, it, I think she introduced that. She commercialized wabi-sabi. Okay. And Kanye. Wabi-sabi yeah. was commercialized by them. Mm, Therefore, it's that. heavily adopted. And I personally was a victim of that. I've done a couple of projects. That's all. <laughs> it's all micro. Because my clients come. I want micro cement. I want Kim K's house. That's all I get. Kim K's house. I'm like, yes, but let's try something different. No, I want that. We make it happen. That's so interesting. But it's not my style. It's yeah. not my personal style. Yeah. I like a place that looks lived in and, and looks like it's a part of history. I like. I have this obsession with checkered flooring. Oh. That everyone knows. And now checkered is trendy. And I'm kind of It is annoyed. very trendy now. I'm so annoyed. But I love checkered the terms flooring. come and go. True, it's a classic. It's a classic. Why are you obsessed with checkered floors? My grandfather's house that I grew up in had checkered oh, flooring. Interesting. And then my dad's house that he built. You were trafficking nostalgia again. Exactly. Oh, good. The house my dad built for us in 2002, where I lived most of my life, the top floor, the first floor where all the bedrooms are, it's checkered flooring throughout every bedroom, every hallway. You approve of the design of the house? No. Love my dad oh, so much. Oh he has amazing God. taste. First the siblings, now the dad. Who's going to listen to this? Dad. This no, is going to be terrible. Because after you study design... You Sorry, dad. And... It's him, not me. No, he knows how much I love yeah, him. Sure, you have to say that I now. Go, of course. Of course. <laughs> but I go to them like, no, we have to edit that. We have to change the sink. We have to change that. After my design degree, I started changing everyone's that. house around me. And did you succeed in changing the houses? Multiple. They allowed you? My dad took him a while to trust me as his son, being a designer, telling him... We don't approve because he's he does also architecture development and real estate. Okay. So for me to go like, listen, this doesn't work, he would not accept it. Did you ever consider uh, collaborating on a project? 
We did. I I designed his his new home, his dream home, which oh, is wow. which is basically reminiscent of Lebanese old architecture, like the houses in Ashrafia. Oh yeah, doing that in Kuwait like was Garden City Ashrafia look here. Yeah. Think like Albergo Hotel. Yeah, yeah, man, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, it's it's exciting. That was my first challenge, and it took him a while to give me that trust. And yeah, honestly, I'm so honored. It's did amazing. he let go? Did he allow you to do your thing? Well, was he very ish? Okay, because I feel like if my son is an interior designer architect. I'd be a little controlling, probably. He does, and it's frustrating. Yeah. But I think it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of patience because there's a vision that I'm trying to do, but it's also my family living in the house. So I'm also the client, but I'm the designer and the architect. So there's so much going on. But I think my dad's house was such a learning experience for me because he knows so much. He has a lot of experience. Akid. So I'm learning from him, not as his son, but as his designer. Yeah, that's very, it's very that's, challenging. That's very humble. Yeah. Uh, Sherry, this has been great. We have a very small gift for you, speaking of architecture, Cairo, and Mexico. So this is Architectural Guide to Cairo. Amazing. But he now lives in Mexico City, so you can actually... I need to go to both Cairo <laughs> and Mexico <laughs> exactly. City. He's like Muhammad the Shahid. So, so, oh, I love Muhammad the Shahid. Yeah, that's his book. He's a friend of the show and a friend of mine. Guy. And he uh, did an amazing book. He's one of those people that I learned a bit from on Instagram. Back when he had a different Instagram account, he used to post a the lot Cairo, about... Was it called for a Cairo Observer? Before that, even. He yeah, had yeah. a different account. I met him in Dubai, actually, here in D3. Yes, Mosbut. And he talked a lot about Egyptian architecture. Yes. Before he moved to Mexico. Yes. And that's why I was like... Mexico's recent, I think. Yes. That's when I knew that this is something I want to learn about. But thank you for the gift. That's so sweet. No, no, Appreciate it's it. uh, something small. Okay. Best of luck. Thank you so much. We will be coming and visiting you in your studio by Please. tomorrow when Farah finds out where it is. Yes, waiting. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much. Appreciate it. Thank you. You can catch my conversation with Mohammed Shahid in any of your podcast apps and on our website at thelighthouse.ee slash podcast. Thank you for joining me. This is Hesha Montasser on yet another episode of the Lighthouse Conversation. We'll be taking a short break during the summer and back with new episodes in September. Our show is produced by Chirag Desai and our content director is Farah Sharif. You can connect with us on Instagram at the Lighthouse underscore podcast for behind the scene videos and so much more. We'll see you very soon and have a great summer, everyone.